Now, we're in for a real treat today because one of our student pastors, Jake Smith, will be bringing the message. And I just need to prepare you, if you don't know Jake, he comes with a lot of energy. So amp yourselves up, be ready for that. Uh, and, and what some of you may not know, and some of you do, is that uh, Jake Smith grew up here in this church. And I had the privilege of being one of his youth coaches. I always appreciated uh, his inquisitiveness, the opportunity for him to ask questions. I've seen him grow in physical stature. I've seen him grow in facial hair through these years, uh, finally able to grow a mustache. But he, he's got a great message prepared for us, and we're in for a real treat. So uh, be, be ready. Thanks, Jake. That is probably the nicest thing Kyle has ever said about me. Not the, well, the mustache part, but just, it was just nice. I could do anything now. After that intro, holy cow, not that special. Okay, here we go. Welcome, 2022. It's January, it's January 2nd. Um, welcome both here in the room and our online audience. Um, so I just got to ask, how many of you have already said, 2022, this is my year? This is the year of me. This is the year of change. How many of you done that? A couple of you? Okay. So how many of you also said that at the start of 2021? And worked out as about as well as some of us do on New Year's resolutions. I'm not afraid to admit that is me. I do say that. I try to, you know, change something or change a couple of things. But um, instead of focusing on all the things I have to change in my life, I'm focusing on one thing this year. I've given myself a word a phrase for 2022, and it's the word resilient. But more importantly, the phrase is resilient faith. And that's what I'm focusing on. That's what I feel like God is pushing me for 2022 um, to focus on, because resiliency means having the ability to withstand or recover quickly from difficult circumstances. And I love the idea of having a withstanding faith, a resilient faith in the face of difficulty. Sometimes I think that as the American church, we don't fully understand this idea, this concept of resiliency, of withstanding when it comes to church. I mean, think about it. We come here every Sunday. We invite people into our space on Christmas Eve and Easter and every Sunday, and we blast our service times. We let people know what we're doing in the space. We even have amazing police officers who stop traffic for us to get in to our parking lot. Sometimes for us, um, resiliency is, oh boy, don't know if I'm going to survive or withstand this communion cup change we did during COVID. This is rough. Right? And that's like when it, that's when it gets tough. But we have brothers and sisters in countries around the world, and you hear the stories of them meeting in secrecy, hoping to not be arrested, hoping to not be found out. And even if they are found out and their church and their gathering gets busted up, they continue to meet, they continue to gather, and they grow. And their faith community grows. That's resilience. That's withstanding, in my opinion. Resilient faith can be seen all over Scripture, from Abraham to Esther, Peter and John, and so many in between. But there's one book of the Bible in particular to me that I feel like radiates this idea with the stories that is, are found in it of resiliency, and that's the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel holds powerful examples of God's presence, resilient faith, and Sometimes we skip over looking back at those stories because we're not in second grade anymore and we don't have coloring pages and it's not as fun to learn stories if you can't color. And I find myself saying, oh, well, I know that story. Like, I've, I heard it before. I know the details. But 
little sidebar, that's the beauty of Scripture. That's why I think Scripture is so amazing is that it was repeated. These stories were repeated over and over and over to generations and generations until they were written down on the scrolls that, that became our Bible. And so today we're going to repeat some stories. We're going to look back at the book of Daniel and see what it has to tell us today. And then next week we're actually starting a new sermon series on Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and looking at uh, how we can rebuild some things in 2020 to looking at Scripture and letting God work in our lives. And so we're chilling in the Old Testament for a couple weeks, super excited about it. So if you would, open up your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you in the seat in front of you. It's page 881. we're really going to be looking at a lot of scripture today, so I would encourage you, get your phones out, get your follow along with us, because I'm really not that great to look at, and I'm just going to be reading, so you're going to want to read along. We're going to look at chapters 1, 3, and 6 today. And so in chapter 1, it's the beginning chapter, and we get a lot of context and a lot of good history that sets up the rest of the book. Daniel and his friends that we're going to read about are born during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, and they're taking as captives into Babylon. It's estimated that they were around 14 or 17 years old when this first chapter is taking place. So keep that in perspective when we start to read this. Uh, We're going to open up chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 3 to start. So follow along. Read with me. It will be on screen as well. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Now the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. In that last verse, verse 7, we see these four boys, they get a new name. And when we look at these names, I, I want to take a look at them because a lot of times in the Bible, the names that people are given correlate with the story that is being told. And this story is no different. So we're going to go one by one, starting with Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. And then his name that he's given in Babylon is Belteshazzar, which is very hard to say. Bel, it means Bel protect the king, and Bel was a Babylonian god. So Daniel is blessed with the name, God is my judge, and he gets changed to a different kind of God. And we're going to see throughout the story that God continues to be judged, that his name will come through as true. Let's look at the other names. Hananiah means whom Jehovah has favored, and his Babylonian name that he's given is derived from the god Rock, Shadrach. And then his other friend, he's got Mishael, who means who is comparable to God. And his Babylonian name is Meshach, which is derived from Shak, the goddess of love. And then last we, lastly, we have Azariah, which means Jehovah helps. And the Babylonian name he is given is Abednego, servant of shining fire. 
So what happened was this Babylonian king, he, he wanted to change the names of these boys because their names represented a God that he did not know, that he did not believe in. So he changes it to their gods, right? The god Rock, Shaq, the goddess of love. All these names are trying to point to something different. But what we're going to see as we read on, we see that God still is judged, that he favors these boys, that there is no one comparable to him, and that he helps these men. It's a pretty incredible story, and especially, we'll get to this later, but servant of shining fire, well, that's, that's going to come into play, okay? So reading on, we see Daniel refuses to eat from the king's table because the food was unacceptable according to the food laws of Moses that he had more than likely been following his entire life. Daniel had determined that through this exile, through this captivity in Babylon, that he would stay true to his king, the one true king, God. And honestly, in all circumstances, he was going to do that. And some of those circumstances were going to risk his life in the process and risk other lives as well. So he refuses to eat, but he doesn't just refuse to eat. He actually ups the ante, and he's talking to the attendant that's over him and his friends. And he says, I'm going to challenge you with something. Give me 10 days of water and vegetables with my friends, and then compare us at the end of those 10 days and make your decision based on that. So I don't know about you, but I really do not like to be compared, and I also like to eat, okay? And so Daniel's doing two things. He's one saying, you know, I don't want, your, I don't want the king's food. I want to just eat water and vegetables because it's clean. Also, compare us at the end of 10 days and see where we're at, and what an amazing answer that attendant gets, because at the end of the 10 days— they show up, and Daniel and his friends look healthier. They look stronger. They look better than all the other boys that had been eating from the king's table. Now, parents, yes, you can take this verse out of context and use it to help your kids eat vegetables if you want. I think Daniel would be okay with that, okay? So they do, they do this challenge. After 10 days, they look good. And this small section of text gives us insight into the relationship that God, that Daniel had with God. Because Daniel could have just gone with the flow. He could have been in exile and just said, you know what, this is a really tough situation. I'm just going to do what I need to do to survive. I'm just going to do what the easiest thing is to do. And that would have been probably giving up on God. But Daniel knew the history of Israel. He knew that there had been kings before him that had done that, that had done what they wanted to do and had given up on God. It never worked out for that, them. And I think that it also shows that Daniel, what he had done when he was a little Hebrew boy, learning the scriptures and practicing spiritual disciplines, had trained him for this moment to be ready to be ready for trial. And when trial came, he stood up and to people who didn't owe him anything, fought for God. Can you imagine the impact that this had on the attendant that was over him and his friend, this challenge, right? We don't read about Daniel and his friends giving sermons or going through scripture with the attendant to show them who God is. We read about lifestyle, the lifestyle of Daniel and his friends was to serve God in all circumstances, even if it meant facing death. And they followed through with that. And the attendant was able to see who God is in someone's life when it's at the center, when, it revolved, when their lifestyle revolves around who God is. 
what does our lifestyle look like? What do we do on a daily basis that someone would look and say there's something different, there's something new, that God that they talk about is amazing because of what their lifestyle is like. What is our testimony like? Jump with me to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to move on because in Daniel chapter 3, we find that the boys have passed their training. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are now overseeing the affairs of the province of Babylon. And Daniel's in the king's court. They're all in positions of high authority. And I love this chapter of Scripture. And so today, we're going to read it its entirety. And for some of you, this might be the first time that you hear chapter 3 all together. For some, time, for some of you, it might be the first time in a while that you're hearing it, hearing the story. Maybe it's going to speak to you. I would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. But if not, close your eyes and imagine the situation. Imagine this story unfolding in front of you. Here we go. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races, nations, and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But for some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be imme thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. 
Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire, and then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make this decree if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. Every time I read this passage, I get chills because I try to imagine the scene. I try to imagine someone's face so angry that it becomes distorted. I try to imagine a fire so hot that it kills the men that get close to it. I try to imagine the faces of Nebuchadnezzar and the other officials looking into the furnace and doing the math on how many people are standing there versus how many people they know they threw in. That had to have been a lot of confusion for them. I imagine that moment when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing outside of the furnace, being looked at by the officials and not even smelling of smoke. And I pray that we have the same faith that those men had before they went into the furnace. I mean, talk about your faith after the furnace. But before they respond in verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. These men would not compromise on their faith, even though it meant certain death. 
These men were so solid in their foundation of God that they knew in the end, even if they died, it meant that they had not turned their back on God, that they were standing on their solid foundation with him. And as Nebuchadnezzar approached the fire, he shouts out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out here, come here. And this is the same man that said, what God will be able to rescue you. And he goes to the whole opposite extreme of the most high God. What an amazing transformation of Nebuchadnezzar. And then he makes the decree that will ring true then, it rings true now, and it will ring true for centuries. There is no other God who can rescue like this. And that's the same God that we serve today. That's pretty incredible. The last passage of scripture we're going to look at today is Daniel chapter 6. Daniel at this point is around 70 years old, and he's a huge prominent figure in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of chapter 5, we read that Nebuchadnezzar is killed, and a new king, King Darius, takes over. And the reign of King Darius starts out pretty well for Daniel. Daniel's overseeing 120 provinces. He's doing a fantastic job, and the king even begins to think, you know what? I'm going to make some plans for you to take over the entire kingdom and oversee it all. We find out um, that there are some guys that, you know, are under Daniel's leadership that are a little jealous of how well he's doing. So they want to get rid of him somehow. And they devise this plan to go to the king and make a decree. And it's under the disguise of like, We're so, we love you so much, king. But in the back of their minds, they're trying to get rid of Daniel. And this is what we read in verse 7 of chapter 6. It says, we are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this into law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. And from scripture as well as historical context, we know this to be true that when a law was signed by one of these kings and sealed with the Medes or the Persian seal of approval, it could not be changed even by the king who made it. So these men, they knew what they were doing. And when Daniel, we read in verse 10, when Daniel hears of this new law, he goes straight to his room and where he was staying. He begins to pray openly with the windows open to Jerusalem. And it, some translations say, as was his custom. The NLT, which I just read out of, says, as usual. Daniel refused to pray. He refused to pray even privately. He opened up his window so everyone could know that he was defining, defying what the king's orders have been. So let's pick up the story in verse 13 of chapter 6. It says, Then they told the king, That man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. 
So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Daniel is arrested and going to be thrown into the lion's den. And the king uses the phrase, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. So faithful that you're willing to disobey the king's orders and know the punishment is death, and yet you still follow. And this is exactly parallel to what happened with the fiery furnace. His friends knew what the punishment was, would be. They knew what the orders were, but yet they stood and they were resilient in their faith by what they knew. And I, when we read that the king couldn't sleep at night, I, I think that that's because viewing Daniel, knowing Daniel's lifestyle, the king even himself had an ounce of faith that Daniel's life would be spared. So he rushes down to the den the next morning and he yells out almost the exact same phrasing he used when Daniel was arrested. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so they would not hurt me. As we continue to read, we see that Daniel is lifted from the den, which means that Daniel was actually thrown in, not like tossed in like we see in some of these reenactments on TV and the shows. Like he was tossed in at 70 years old and hit the rock bottom ground. That sounds like it would hurt. I know some of you are probably groaning in your head of like, oh man, that hurts my back just thinking about it, right? So that's, that's Daniel and he's lifted out and he is standing there in front of all these people who just survived the den of lions. And then we read on and know that Daniel, uh, the people who accused him were actually thrown in with their families. And before they could hit the ground, the lions leaped and crushed them which I believe further gives graphic detail to how powerful these lions were and how mighty our God is to shut their mouths. And finally, this chapter concludes with a message from King Darius. And the text of his message was sent to the people of every race, of every nation and language, and this is what it reads in verse 25. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions." From viewing Daniel's lifestyle, King Darius describes him as someone who serves God so faithfully. And the book of Daniel reveals to us something of the spiritual dimension of life. We see God withholding the mouths of lions. We see him in the presence of the flames and the fiery furnace with Daniel's friends. In all of this, we become aware of the unseen hand of the Lord in all the lives of us and his people. 
We've covered a lot of scripture today. And here's what I want you to walk away with. From the stories that we find in the book of Daniel, we see that resilient faith withstands difficult circumstances. And we too are to live on mission for God's kingdom no matter the circumstances that come. But we can't live on mission if we haven't prepared for the mission. And I believe that we are so prepared for the, sometimes we are so prepared for the next Facebook or Instagram debate, then we are ready to share our testimony and our faith to someone who doesn't know God. And I'm guilty of this too. I am so prepared to rattle off all the stats about why Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever play and why Tom Brady will never be the greatest quarterback to play in the NFL. But sharing my faith? That conversation doesn't happen as often as it should. That conversation isn't had with people who don't know Jesus as often as it should. And I'm guessing some of you are in that same spot with me. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were ready. Their spiritual disciplines of prayer, memorizing, dwelling on God's word, believing fellowship, and a submission to him were a part of their daily and weekly routine and rhythm to prepare them for what was to come, the mission of God, both known and unknown. They were ready for every circumstance. So what now? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Honestly, it's pretty churchy, but here's the thing, it's, it's the truth. We have to get back to the basics. The year 2022, this year we must be dependent on the Holy Spirit in all circumstances. We must be in constant prayer. We have to be centering our lives around the biblical truth found in Scripture because daily spiritual discipline develops resilient faith for all circumstances. A resilient faith that endures a divorce in the family, a resilient faith that endures the loss of a loved one, a resilient faith that endures the church invite denial, a resilient faith that endures a pandemic, a resilient faith that endures the busy season of life, a resilient faith that endures all circumstances because our faith is at the center of who we are and God is a priority in everything that we do. That is what I hope our year entails. That's what I hope we seek as our vision going into this year. Can we withstand in our faith all circumstances? So right now, develop a plan. Make a plan for yourself today as what you want your spiritual rhythm to be. Make that plan. Let someone know, your spouse, coworker, friend. Have someone who is on mission with you. Because when you put in the constant time to your faith and relationship with God, change truly happens. And a great example of this actually popped up on my Facebook this week. I was preparing and I was thinking, I really want to share someone's testimony on what this looks like to play out. And not me, because you've heard me talk about my life enough. And so I start scrolling, right? Not just like the scrolling of like, I want to see if anybody's posting anything. The scrolling of like, I have nothing else to do with my time right now scrolling. And then, boom, it pops up on my feed, and I texted Karina right away, and I said, hey, can I please share this on stage on Sunday? She said, yeah. So this is what she wrote. She said, December 30th, 2021, I never, ever follow through on New Year's resolutions. Did I say never? Because I mean never. Last January, a few friends and I committed to reading through the Bible together, and I knew I would start out as strong as I have tried this before, but I also knew that it would wane pretty quickly. 
Friends, I just finished the book of Revelation this morning. This is not a brag post. This is not a look what I did, aren't I so spiritual post. This is a why did it take me 50 years to read God's word in its entirety? Why have I never made this a priority when I read so many other books all year long? Why have I not applied so many of his teachings to my daily life kind of post? I have learned so much about my God, myself, and my Savior through these readings every day. It was 20 minutes, yes, only 20 minutes I treasured every single day. And guess what? We're doing it again starting yesterday, 2022. If you want to join her, she's on Facebook. You can join the group. But this is what she concludes with. Don't do what I did. Don't wait until you're 50 to do this. 2022, don't wait any longer. Make 2022 your year of habitually practicing spiritual disciplines and see what God does in and through your life. Now, you might find yourself sitting in one of two camps. One, maybe you're thinking, Jake, yes, this is great. This is just what I needed. Thank you for the reminder. You are also the people who have written their plan already in the time that I've been talking. Maybe you find yourself in another camp, though. Maybe you say to yourself, I have a routine. I figured out what works for me, and I'm seeing the fruits of my spiritual disciplines in my life. That's amazing. Keep doing that. Keep filling yourself with that routine that you know. But here's my challenge. Who are you investing in? Who are you discipling? Who in your life can you replicate the fruit that you have found, the rhythm that you found, and put it into someone else's life so they can experience it as well? Daniel put in the time in his own spiritual life so that he would allow himself to be ready to make a difference in people's lives and in all circumstances. I want to leave you with this. And please, if you've got your phone out and your notes, or you, maybe you're writing with a pen, uh, write these down so we can kind of be along this together. I was reading a book recently that my grandpa gave me called Faith for Exiles. And in one of the chapters I was reading, it gave three questions that were presented. And I'm taking those three questions, and I'm continually asking myself every week of 2022 to keep my mind focused on what's ahead and what my spiritual disciplines, what my lifestyle looks like as a testimony. The first question is this. Do I understand my relationship as a Christian to the culture around me? Number two, do I understand my identity apart from culture? And number three, do I understand my role in representing Jesus in my context? 2022 should be the year where we challenge ourselves, when we ask ourselves and question ourselves on these three things continually of how are we living for Jesus in our context, and in all circumstances. Because resilient faith pushes us farther. It pushes us through hardship in all circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this space where we can come together and dive into your word and hear your words from scripture. Lord, we gather here for one reason, and that's to glorify you in all that we do. 
And Lord, I pray that the stories of Daniel and his friends radiate in our hearts today and give us examples on pushing through in those difficult circumstances to have a resilient faith that withstands all things. And Lord, as we begin and continue in our worship with singing, Lord, help these words to touch our hearts. Help us to glorify you in our words and give you praise in this moment. Lord, thank you for another year. Help us to rally together here at the start to live on mission every day, every week for you, Lord, and your kingdom. We give this day to you. We give our lives to you. In your holy name I pray, amen.